1 Peter, again, chapter 5, verses 6 through 14, God's word says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Looking over this passage, uh, easily there could be a sermon preached on each individual verse. Um, and if you've grown up in church, you've no doubt heard the, the verse of your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Um, I grew up hearing that verse, which made my next trip to the zoo all the more terrifying because I said, he's going to kill me. And I had no concept of what is a joke and what is not. And my dad was like, he's going to get you. He's going to get you. And I was like, oh. So we may have heard verses like that before. Um, and again, sermons could be preached on each one of these verses, but as we take this whole passage and this whole closing, I think there is something more important that Peter is wanting us to understand, and that is a type of faith that we need to have. And the word firm uh, shows up twice in this passage, and that is the type of faith that I believe we need to have, a firm faith. Going back and forth over Thanksgiving break, um, or Thanksgiving holidays, I was wondering what to preach on, and I changed it up about three or so times because I just did not know. I would pray a little bit more, and I would change it up, and then I'd pray some more, and I was like, okay, well, I can't do this now. I feel the Lord's pulling me in this direction, and then I would get distracted in sidelines. I was listening to my Wolverine stomp out the Buckeyes, and so I was so excited about that. Okay, and so uh, things were distracting me and pulling me all these different ways, and I had to turn off the radio. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And I continued to hear just those words, firm faith, stand firm in your faith. And I decided, um, I was confirmed that that is what I should be preaching on this morning. And I believe that is what the Lord is directing us to today. And we have a connotation easily of what firm means. We might understand firm to be just sturdy or strong. Uh, But the dictionary definition of firm goes beyond that. The dictionary definition of firm is being strong or unyielding. Is your faith unyielding? Is it firm? Is it strong? Is it unyielding? And that brings us to our main idea for today. Followers of God must have a firm or unyielding faith in order to carry out our purpose as effectively as possible. What is our purpose? We're going to get to that towards the end of the message today, but I'm going to read this again. Followers of God must have a firm faith in order to carry out our purpose as effectively 
as possible. And we can easily think to ourselves, well, I know I have faith. I know I profess faith in Christ, but is my faith firm? I don't really know what firm faith means or what does that look like in action. And today we are going to look at a few aspects of firm faith, what that looks like in practice and what is Peter hinting at in these closing passages. Because like in any book or novel, movie, letter, article, whatever, the closing or the conclusion is always the most important. Every word is deliberately chosen to invoke a reaction or an emotion or a response from the audience. And Peter carefully chooses each word and this idea and concept in his closing of 1 Peter. And we're going to look at why does he choose to do that. So today, again, we're going to look at some aspects of firm faith and why we must have it. That's going to bring us to our first main point here. Firm faith is built and founded on God. Firm faith is built and founded on God. Verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So in context, remember where we left off last week with Keith, he had just, or Peter had just mentioned um, and giving standards and statutes for the elders of the church that they should set themselves up to do these things and act in such a way to represent Christ. And then he ends by commissioning the young men to likewise go and do this. And so we don't want to just detach that from the rest of the chapter, but I ask you this. If the elders of the church are supposed to be godly men representing Christ, should we not also, men and women in the room, strive to be like the elders of the church who are striving to be like Christ? The answer should be yes. We want to be like Christ. And if Peter is commissioning the young men and the young women and the elders of the church to act in such a manner so they can represent Christ, then so should we as well. So this, by all means, don't think that this does not apply to us, because last week they were talking about the elders, and, well, I'm not an elder in the church. I don't have to worry about this. No, this has just as much importance to us today. So Peter begins his statement by telling us to cast our anxieties on him, and I love the intro that he gives. Humble yourself. I don't know about you, but I struggle deeply with humility, The old saying goes, you never pray and ask God for patience or humility because you will get same-day delivery on that prayer. (laughs) Seems like the line at the bank or the line at the drive-thru is always longer or somebody comes along and kind of puts you in your place the same day you pray that prayer. That always happens to me. And so I love that Peter uh, starts off by just saying, humble yourself and cast your anxieties on the Lord. Because how often in our own life, When things and problems arise, whether physically or mentally or whatever, um, do we try to keep them to ourselves and be like, I can fix this on my own. I can handle this. I don't need to bring God into this because I don't need God. I can handle this myself. There's no need for the God. And Peter, just smiling, just goes, humble yourself. Cast those anxieties, those doubts, those worries, those fears on God Because what happens is when we don't do this, when we keep our fears, our anxieties, our doubts, worries, whatever they may be, and we keep them to ourselves, we become immobilized by them. We don't move. We don't grow. We just stay still and we don't do anything because we're too scared and our anxieties get the best of us and we don't surrender these to God. We don't do anything. The next thing you know, 
We haven't been to church in over a year, or it's no longer a priority in our lives. We don't read the Bible. We don't pray enough. Or if we do pray, our prayers become solely focused on me, saying, Lord, give me this, 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 and this. And we never stop to just simply go, Lord, thank you for being God. Thank you for all that you've done in my lives. Our prayers take a different tone, and we approach God differently. And so Peter doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to cast our anxieties on the Lord. Why? Look at that last part there. Because he cares for you. What a beautiful thing to know that the God of the universe cares deeply for us, so much that he wants your anxieties. He wants your struggles. Give them over to him. If we wish to have a firm faith and a firm foundation, we have to give it over to God. He cares for us. And how often in our arrogance and pride, I wonder, have we slapped away the reached out hand of God who desires them, saying to ourselves and saying to him, no, Lord, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I'm strong enough and capable enough to do this. And I love you and I love myself enough to ask this question. Really? I don't know about you, but I need the Lord every single time I try to handle something on my own. It just blows up in my face. I, I will give you a brief example of this. In college, I had the opportunity to give a short message um, at one of the venues there. And in my pride, not humbling myself, I was like, man, all eyes will be on me. This is going to be great. Or the people that will be at the event, all eyes will be on me. And that was probably the worst message I have ever preached in my entire life, lasting all about 10, 15 minutes. When I needed to go 25, I jumbled over my words. I dropped my Bible. I mean, everything just wasn't going as planned. I did not humble myself before the Lord, and he let me know it too. And so if Peter, going back to Peter, if all, of all people, Peter can say, cast your anxieties on the Lord, humble yourself before the Lord, surely we should be able to. If you're unfamiliar with Peter's life, if you are new to the faith and you don't know too much about Peter, Peter, in the book of Acts, suffers immensely for his faith. He is beaten within an inch of his life multiple times. He's arrested and imprisoned multiple times. And eventually, after writing this letter years down the road, will be crucified upside down for his faith. And that same man can sit here and say, cast your anxieties on the Lord. If anyone had any reason to be scared, to have worries, to have doubts, it's Peter. And Peter today says, or then says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. He cares for us. We need to put our faith firmly in God because he alone is our foundation Matthew seven twenty four to 27 reads this. And so this is Jesus talking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Friends, if we hold on to our fears and our anxieties, our doubts, or whatever they may be, we are building our faith upon those very things and not upon God. 
Because if our faith is predicated on current events or on my fears or my anxieties, well, when those escalate, my faith is not firm and it teeters and falters from side to side. I do not have a firm foundation and great will be my fall. Hearing again the, the closing statement of that verse. Rather, our firm foundation has to be in Christ because it is a firm foundation. The Lord is never changing, never moving. We call this immutable. So everybody say immutable. immutable. Awesome. I got half the room on this side to do it. I'm going to count that as a win. Immutable. It means never changing. We praise God for being immutable. And what no better foundation to lay on than something that will never move or falter or weaken. Christ alone has to be our foundation in order to have a firm faith. And so Peter is calling us to cast your anxieties on him because he cares for us. It brings us to our second point. Firm faith perseveres through persecution. Verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter has spent a lot of this letter talking about suffering, talking about persecution, talking about enduring it, and it's plainly laid out for us in this letter that suffering will happen to people who profess the name of Christ. We see this elsewhere, namely even in the epistle Um, of James, where in James's introduction to the letter, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1, 2 to 4. The Bible uses when, not if, when talking about sufferings and persecutions. And looking back at Peter, look at his analogy for Satan. It is a lion. See, oftentimes we downplay the severity of our enemy, but Satan is a lion, and that lion is looking to kill you. How many of us in this room can fend off an actual lion attack or hide from a lion if one enters the rooms? Nobody can. And this lion, the devil, is doing that same thing. He's on the hunt for you, and we and you and I cannot hide from him. That lion will pounce on us. We cannot fend him off alone. We need Christ as our foundation in our faith to persevere through that attack. The lion is actively looking for you. If we've ever seen a documentary of a lion, it is vicious. That attack and that assault on your spiritual life and on your life will be vicious. Will you be able to withstand it? Will you be able to persevere with Christ at your side? Jesus has to fight alongside of us. Or friends, we will perish. If Jesus is not fighting that lion with us, that lion will get the better of us. And the key point here is that when sufferings and persecutions happen, those who have a firm, unyielding faith will persevere. Because looking back at point number one, their foundation is built on God. They will not falter in the face of temptation and trials. For those who profess faith, however, and yet face persecution and walk away from the faith 
They turn away from the church. They turn away from God. The Bible says that they were never truly saved in the first place. Here from 1 John verse, or chapter 2, verses 19, or verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. The idea is in the sad reality is that there will be people who profess Christ, but when bad things happen, when the going gets tough, when persecution arises and they leave, John clearly says they were not of us to begin with. You see, it's the parable of the sower all over again here. Some seed will be cast on rocky terrain and it will die shortly after. So those who profess faith in God and yet face persecution and run away, John and Jesus both say they were not one of us. So the opposite then has to be the case. Those who face persecution, those who withstand persecution must be from us. They must be true followers of Christ if they can face persecution and persevere. Their foundation is firmly built in Christ. They have a firm, unyielding faith because they withstand the attack of the lion. Because, friends, Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was attacked by that lion, if you will. Hear what he says in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, the second half of verse 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That is why we need Jesus on our side to fight off the enemy, to persevere. We can't have firm faith without Christ fighting in our stead. So where does your faith lie? I ask you. Where does my faith lie? I ask myself as well. What better partner to walk alongside than he who has slain the lion himself? And that brings us to our third main point, a little bit more uplifting now. Firm faith is rewarded by God, verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory or the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's closing words. So uh, uh, these are his closing words as far as like the meat of this letter goes. After that, he gives his final farewells. But his closing statement here is reminding us that we are not alone in our suffering in this world and that God will reward us for persevering through suffering. There will be a great and glorious reward. All Christians today look forward to to when our suffering will come to an end. I don't think there's a single person in the room that would raise their hand and go, actually, I would not mind suffering and giving up my crowns in heaven. I don't think there is someone in this room. We don't want to suffer. And the beautiful and encouraging word that Peter is giving us is there will be a time where no more suffering happens and God will reward us. Looking back, he even says, your whole brotherhood is suffering alongside you. We do not suffer alone, too. What a comforting thought to know that when I am in pain and suffering, I am not walking alone. I have my church. I have my family. I have my friends. What a beautiful, comforting thought. And I have the Lord who will reward me in the end. Peter wants us to know that God sees all of our pains. He sees our sufferings. And if we can remain and persevere in our firm faith, we will be rewarded in the last days. No doubt the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew are ringing in Peter's ear. 
Matthew 5, 11 to 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets. What is our reward in heaven, you may ask? Well, just looking specifically um, at verse 10 here in chapter 5, there's a lot in the Bible that can be said about what our reward is, but look at what Peter specifically says. Restore, he will cure, the Lord will cure all suffering and pain from our bodies. He will simply put, heal us. We will be restored. Confirm. I love this one. It's my favorite one. When we are united with God, our faith becomes a reality and everything that we have longed for, been told, been talking about is confirmed in front of our very eyes. What more beautiful thing can there be than to know we were right all along? Because doubts happen. I'm not above saying I have not ever doubted my faith. I have doubts. Every once in a while in my moment of weakness and the Lord whispers, I'm here. But I've, I've doubted at times. And our faith will one day be confirmed before our very eyes. What a beautiful, encouraging thing to see that. He will strengthen us. Simply put, God will embolden us and empower us. And he will establish. When you establish something, the intent is that it will stay there forever and that it will be there when you come back next time. So God will establish us in his kingdom forever and he will be with us forever. He will establish us. Look at all of these beautiful things that God has done or will do for us. Hear Peter, my friends, as he is whispering in our ear saying, it is worth it. You can't turn on a movie or a television show and not see Christianity being mocked today. There seems to be no other religion or belief out there that is mocked on the news or on television than Christianity. And I'm not saying, well, let's make fun of other religions then. No, but I'm just simply saying Christianity is the one religion where it is socially acceptable to ridicule and mock. And we are viewed as morons and idiots for the things that we believe. But Peter is whispering in our ear saying, this suffering that you're going through, this mockery and ridicule you are going through, it will be worth it when we see Christ. You may have had doubts in moments of weakness. You may have had anxieties and fears, but if you have casted them onto the Lord, if you have done these things, if you've humbled yourself and done these things, Peter's smiling and saying, it is worth it. Your reward in heaven is worth it. What a beautiful, encouraging note there. What gets me through my suffering, many of you know my story, I won't repeat it here. If you ever want to know, I'm happy to tell you. But in the midst of my great suffering, when I had the deepest doubts of my faith ever, of saying, I can't understand if God is real, why is this happening? The one thing that was able to get me through was knowing that God is there and does care for me and that there is a reward in him. And that ultimate reward is union with Christ. It's the one thing that was able to push, push me through. And friends, our firm faith will be rewarded in Christ. Brings us to our final point here. Firm faith seeks out community and ministry. Verses 12 to 14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace 
of God. I love that there. This is the true grace of God. Coming right off um, the ends of talking about suffering and persecution. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Friends, coming off of our words on suffering and Peter saying, this is the true grace of God. What a beautiful thing to know that Christianity, our faith in God, has been, is, and will always be worth it and will always be true. What a beautiful thing to know. And Peter here is telling us this is the true grace of God. And then he turns to tell us about the individuals that he is currently working alongside. Friends, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone or in seclusion. I can think of no worse thing than to suffer alone and not have a community of friends and family with you. The Christian life, rather, is actively seeking fellow believers who are like-minded to work towards the betterment of the kingdom of God. And from these verses, we know that Peter is currently in the room with two other men. Silvanus, which we believe is Silas from the book of Acts. Silas is the shortened version of that name. So my name is Nathan, but I sometimes go by Nate. So his name is Silvanus, but sometimes he goes by Silas. So we believe they are the same people. Um, Silas, if you are familiar with the book of Acts, is the one that accompanies Paul on his missionary journeys. So we believe Silas is in the room there from the book of Acts, as well as John Mark, who is the Mark here, who we believe wrote the Gospel of Mark. And we came out of a series in the Gospel of Mark where we, were, where we discovered and were taught that the Gospel of Mark is written from Peter's eyewitness accounts of Jesus. So we have these three men working together. And let me paint the picture for you. We clearly could have two books of the Bible being written simultaneously on opposite sides of the room, all from Peter's ministry experience. These three men together are working and teaching fellow Christians. They actively sought out one another. They did not just happen by one another in the marketplace. Peter's like, man, I really want to write a book, but I don't know how to write and Sylvanus says, that's not how it happened. They knew each other. They sought out to work for the glory of God together. Peter was a lowly fisherman, so he most likely did not know how to read and write. And so Sylvanus comes along and writes down what Peter is talking about. So that's why he says, by Sylvanus, I regard him. I'm writing to you briefly. Sylvanus is writing down what Peter is saying here. So Peter doesn't have the ability to write, but he's got all this knowledge and this encouragement that he wants to share with other people, but he doesn't know how to read or write. And so Sylvanus, his Christian brother, comes alongside him in his weakness where Peter lacks and says, well, I can write. And so he writes down Peter's words. And the fruits of that ministry are still being felt today as we are going through the First Peter series, but we see no better book of the Bible that talks about encouragement through suffering and persecution. And then you have Mark on the other end, who also knows how to read and write, but who is writing down Peter's firsthand accounts of Jesus' life. You could picture Mark, a young man across the table from Peter, saying, what was he like? I didn't know him. What was he like? Tell me everything. And Peter, not being able to read and write, tells this to him. So Mark is able to write down Peter's accounts. And we feel the fruits of that ministry to this day, because it is from the gospel of Mark that we know the humility and heart of Jesus all the more. We know his servant's heart. We know his deep passion for people and for serving others. 
Look simply at the beautiful ministry that is done by these three men who have firm faith in God. And it's not just these three men as well. They are partnered by a local church. And Peter writes, she who is at Babylon also greets you. Babylon back then was synonymous, not necessarily code, but a metaphor for Rome. And so we believe she who is in Babylon is the local church in Rome that they are being sponsored by and working alongside. Because she is also chosen, he says, meaning this church is a true and faithful church. These three men are partnering with the local church to do ministry. And I ask you today in this room, are you partnering to do ministry? If you profess membership at North Bullet Christian Church, are you partnering in ministry? Are you working with ministry in your local context, in your workplace, in your friends, in your family? Are you partnering to do ministry work? Ministry is not just for the preachers and the teachers and the elders of the church. But if we profess faith in Christ, if we have a firm, unyielding faith, we are all called into ministry, which simply is meaning share your faith with others. Look at what Peter, John, or Peter, Mark, and Sylvanus are doing in this instance. They are encouraging fellow Christians everywhere. Much like Peter, Sylvanus, and Mark, are we seeking to be around a community of of believers to work together for the gospel. Mark 27 verse 17 simply says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Friends, we can't walk this faith and walk in this world alone. Because what happens when we fall down? Who is there to pick us up? We need friends. We need fellow Christians. When I'm having a bad day, when I am suffering in my spirit, And in my life with God, I know I can come into work and talk to Terry or talk to Keith about my issues. I know when I go home, I have a very godly roommate who I can talk to about things and get practical Christian advice from. Are you surrounding yourselves? Is your inner circle Christian? And are you working to do ministry? Because it's not enough to just have firm faith. If you have firm faith, amazing. Yes and amen to that. But are you now sharing that with others? Are you telling other people about God? Are you sharing your faith? When was the last time we have shared our faith with somebody? I don't mean like, how you doing? I'm doing good. God bless. Well, I said God in there. Got to count for something. Crowns in heaven for me. No. When is the last time you've walked up to a friend or family member or even a stranger and said, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Let me tell you where I was before I met Christ. Let me tell you where I am now. Let me tell you where I'm going. Have you heard about Jesus? Can I talk to you about what I heard on Sunday? Can I talk to you about what I learned in my community group? I see that you're going through a hard time. Can I invite you to my church? Can I invite you to my community group? We'd love to talk to you. Are you sharing your faith. If you are firm in your faith, why are we not sharing? I don't say this to beat you over the head with a hammer or anything like that, but simply said, are we loving other people in our firm faith? Are we working for the betterment of the gospel? Because if we have persevered through suffering, and we all know what that is like to suffer, you don't have to show your hands, but Who knows what it's like to suffer and has seen the other end of that tunnel? Why do we not then want to walk alongside other people who are in that suffering time? A very good friend of mine shared this story with me. He heard, he wrote it down for me. There's a man trapped in a well and he's calling out for help and people are just giving him advice in the well. Like, well, here's a rope. You can do this. 
And he's, well, that doesn't help me in my current circumstance. The rope is too short. Well, maybe you can jump high enough. Well, I can't. The, the well is 20 feet high. And another man finally comes by and he's yelling out, help me, I'm stuck in the well. And the man gets down in the well with him. He's like, what are you doing? Now we're both trapped in here. And he says, yes, but I've been trapped in this well before and I know how to get out of it. Why are we not taking that same attitude into our local context saying, I've suffered just the way you have suffered before. Let me walk alongside you and get you out of this well. Why are we not at times doing this if our faith is so firm? And in closing, a couple things to talk about here. Our faith, as we've learned today, and Peter's encouraging us in our firm faith. If we have firm faith, if our faith is unyielding and secure, this should be an encouragement to us. We should be able to smile, like, yes, I have that. I will be rewarded. I will see God. Everything will be confirmed for me one day. For others, it may serve as a challenge of saying, I don't have as firm as a faith as I thought I did. I need to work harder in that. I'm definitely in that category. I strive to have the faith of people um, in this room and have the level of commitment to the gospel that I see. Friends, without firm faith, where is our hope truly at? And where is our purpose? We said at the very beginning in our main idea, what is our purpose? How can we carry out our purpose effectively? We are placed on this earth for the sole purpose of glorifying God and serving him forever, and enjoying him forever. How can we serve faithfully and as effectively as possible if we are secluded and locked down in our anxieties, if we are not seeking to be around fellow like-minded people who desire to seek and save, or help, the Lord says, seek and save the lost, but to help seek out the lost? Is our faith secure and firm enough Church, hear Peter's words in his closing statement as he is pushing us to go deeper in our faith. It's amazing if we profess faith, but true devotion happens under the surface. We must go deeper in our faith. Our faith needs to be firm. Our foundation needs to be solid in him. Because just as Peter has said earlier, that lion is prowling around right now, and it will pounce. Again, I said before, we downplay the enemy so much and our pride and our arrogance, or maybe even just for what we don't think about it enough, like, well, yeah, he's not, it's not that big of a deal. But that is a lion. Peter deliberately says lion, and that lion will pounce. Is our faith secure enough in it? Do we have other believers with us, walking alongside of us? Do we have Christ with us? Friends, will you today continue to grow in your faith? Will your faith be firm and unyielding in Christ? So when that lion pounces, you don't have to fall, but you can simply scoff and laugh because you have Christ fighting in your stead. Do you have that level of faith? So we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. One of our elders will come up shortly and we will take communion. A couple of things to talk about. Friends, I do not mean to hit you over the head again with a hammer. This should serve as an encouraging word as Peter's leaving us with this. As we're suffering, your suffering is not in vain. Your suffering is not blind. to God. God is not blind to your suffering. He sees it. You will see him and be rewarded by seeing him soon. This should be as an encouragement for us and as a challenge 
for us. And even if it's a challenge, it's just to be an encouraging one of, yes, I desire the Lord. I desire deeper relationship with God. I want to grow in my faith. Practical challenge, examine your life this week. Examine your walk with the Lord. Ask yourself, do I have a firm, unyielding faith? Have I cast my anxieties on the Lord? Or is there still something that I'm holding back? When's the last time that I've shared my faith with somebody? Ask yourself these things and seek to grow and ask the Lord to help you as I will also be doing these things. I do not have it all together. I am still growing in these things as well. So we're going to pray. There are going to be elders on the side of the room. They would love to pray with you and for you. I will also be standing aside, friends. I'm a young man. I'm 24 years old, but I want to pray with you and pray for you. We don't have to pretend that we have our lives together and that our faith is something that we know it's not. It's okay because our friends and our church are here for us. Our community groups are here for us to pick us up where we fall, where our our faith is firm, yes and amen, but where our faith is lacking, our friends and our church are there to help us. So our elders will be on the side of the room. I will be on the side of the room. We'd love to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I love this church deeply. Please, please. Talk to us if you need anything. If there's ways that you wish to grow in your faith and you would like help, you would like resources, or simply would just like someone to pray for you.